0: We came up with the theme based on 2nd second, uh, second chapter of Luke, verse 7. There was no room in the end. And we kind of wanted this Christmas season to be a time when we all kind of grew in a, in a strong direction, and a powerful direction to make even more room in our lives for Christ. To prepare Him room was the theme that we chose and continue to march on. And uh, this morning, this came to me while I was sitting in Jerusalem. And I'd taken several things to read, and obviously I had my Bible and things, and so began taking some notes. But I want to share the ultimate reason that Jesus Christ came. And I'm praying that it would be very personal for each one of us this morning, that we'd understand the Christmas story in a personal way. Realize that the Christmas story that we've read since we were all children, most of us, has your name written on it. One of the things I want you to see that is one of the keys to the whole Christmas story comes out of Luke. But I want you to imagine for just a moment this morning, if Jesus had been born a thousand times, and if you and I had sung songs about Jesus' birth and about his life over and over day by day, but did not realize that that story is all about me, it probably wouldn't mean a whole lot, would it? There's a lot of folks out there that don't feel the same meaning that you and I have. If we never heard it on those kind of terms, if we never realized that Jesus is personally for me, that he's my very own, it might not make the same amount of difference. And so I want to share one little scripture out of the story of Christmas morning, out of the chapter of, second chapter of Luke this morning. It says this, And the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which are to, will to be to all people. For there will be born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. I want you to realize that this Christmas story is personally all for you. It has your name for it. It could say, do not be afraid for I, bring you, for I bring Gary good tidings or I bring Scott good tidings or Joe good tidings. Jesus Christ came to this world that you, each and every one of us, might understand who he is. He wanted us to know exactly who he is. He's the Son of God. Peter got it right at Caesarea Philippi. He says, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. But do we really realize who Jesus Christ is? But then he also wants us to understand why he came. He came that he might save us from our sins. He came to give us forgiveness, which we couldn't give to ourselves. If our greatest need had been information, God would have given us an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been pleasure, God would have sent us an entertainer. But our greatest need, our greatest need was forgiveness. So God sent us Jesus Christ, a Savior, to save us from our sins. We're going to unpack the scripture that I've chosen us today in just a few moments. But I want you to enter into this time, and I'm going to say a little prayer right now, and I want us all to kind of... Really take a few moments and remove the distractions from our mind, the busyness of the season and really focus for these next few minutes on God. Just take that time and rest in Him. But God came to this earth that you and I might have life and have it more abundantly. God came to this earth that we might be forgiven of our sins and live out of bondage. Not live in the bondage and captives to the things of this world but live in freedom because of Christ. If you would now... Bow your heads for just a moment, and then I want to open up with a word of prayer here. But it's going to be an interactive prayer here this morning. So every eye closed, every head bowed. And this morning, I want to invite you to pray, but I also want you to enter into this time of intimacy with God. I want you to pray 1 John 1.9. I'm going to read it to you right now. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Those of us that have been saved understand that he cleanses my sins and he forgave my sins. But you know it's an ongoing process. Because we're still sinners saved by grace. And So now I want you to pray if you will. Pray that prayer that if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive our sins. Pray that for a moment. Maybe in your mind think about the things where you've missed the mark with God Almighty. Pray right now with me. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd forgive me of my sins. Father, I pray that you'd forgive all of our sins. Father, as a body of believers here, Father, we all fall short each and every day. But Father, we're so thankful, Lord, that you pick us back up, that you've already forgiven those sins. Father, you just desire to have that intimate relationship when we realize, Lord, that we've missed the mark, Father, that we've fallen short of your glory. Father, we thank you, Lord, that you'll never leave us nor depart from us, Father, You'll never forsake us, Father. We thank you, Lord, once again this morning, Lord, that we have hope in this world, Father, that lacks hope. We thank you, Father, this morning that we have peace, we have power, Father. We have an essence of your abiding presence walking with us day by day and realizing that you're taking every step of our life journey with us. Father, I pray right now as we enter into your scriptures, Father, as we see your holy word, Father, speak to our hearts, Father. pierce our hearts this morning, Father, that we might realize what it truly means to be saved. Father, what it truly means to repent. Father, what it truly means for the fact that you forgave our sins. And, Father, how desperate we were, Father, without you. Even though many of us didn't know that, Father, we realize understanding your Bible today, Father, that we were desperate. We were hopeless and helpless. Father, we realize that we were living life in the miry pit, Father. And you reached down, Father, and rescued us out, Father, because we believed in Jesus Christ and gave our life to him. Father, now you've set our feet on solid rock. Father, help us to walk that way, Father. Father, right now, in the name of Jesus Christ, Father, I pray that each person in this room, Father, today would come to understand their salvation, Father, and understand what it means to be saved. And, Father, I do pray, once again, in the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord, if there's somebody in this room today, maybe many people, Father, that aren't sure, They think they might be, but they're just not sure, Father. Or maybe they don't know. Or maybe they know with absolute certainty, Father, today that they don't have a relationship with your Son, Jesus Christ, Father. I pray today, by the power of the Holy Spirit, Father, that today would be the day. Today is the day of salvation, Father, that they desire to believe, Father, and make that public, Father, and turn their life to you. To repent, Father, to turn from the way they're going, Father, and give it all to you. And, Father, I'm fully aware, too, that there's people in the room today that are struggling, Father, they're suffering, Father, they're Trying to figure life out and figure out which way is up maybe, Father. They're just not really sure which way to go next. Father, so I pray today they come to realize that you desire to order their steps and direct their path. That you're a great God in heaven, Lord, that has a great plan for life. A plan that we can't even begin to imagine. Father, speak to our hearts today, Lord, that we might see these things in a very powerful way this day. Those of us that are certain about these things, Father, I pray that you would be used, Father, to help others along their journey. And help them grow with you. Father, we thank you now once again for all these things in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn with me, if you will, to Matthew, the first chapter. We're going to begin the beginning. We're reading the beginning of the Christmas story there. And setting the stage, Mary was betrothed to Joseph. She'd been found out she was bearing a child and realized that this was probably going to cause a problem. And so if you have your Bibles with you, Matthew chapter 1, we're going to start reading at verse 18. Stand with me this morning, if you will, out of reverence and respect to the reading of God's Holy Word. It says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make a public example of her, was minded to put her away in secrecy. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take you, Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And this is the focus, verse number 21. And she shall bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Let me read that one more time. And she shall bring forth a son. And you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Let's pray. Father, may you bless the reading of your holy word. Father, speak now to our hearts, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. As I mentioned a minute ago, and I'm going to repeat it several times, I want us to truly understand what it means to be saved. Do we understand fully what it means to be saved? Many people wonder, why do I need to be saved? I'm not lost. You know, it's, it's tough to see sometimes because we don't realize that we're lost in a society that we seem to be looking pretty successful. i got everything I need. You know, I'm doing very well. My job's going well. My family seems to be doing well. i got everything I need. Why do you say I'm lost? That is probably the biggest stigma, the biggest problem that stands in the way of people coming to know Jesus Christ is because they don't realize they're sinners. They don't realize they're lost and they need a Savior. It's amazing to me to see these things, that they don't understand their life. Why? Because they've never been told. Nobody's ever shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. Never, nobody's ever told them the story. And I want to go into a little bit more depth this morning with us here in this room so we can truly understand it, to be able to explain it to other people. Also understand why they might not understand these things. You ever thought about the idea of why did God create Adam and Eve? Why did He create them? You ever wondered that? Why did, why did He make man and woman? You know why? He wanted a relationship. He wanted people that he could identify for. What does it say in the Bible? That he made him in his own image. Why did he do that? So he could talk to them. He can't talk to the animals. Maybe God can, but we can't. But God wanted people that he gave free will to. He wanted people. He wanted children is what he wanted. He wanted a family. He created you and I to have this relationship. He put them in that garden of Eden. Gave them everything they could ever possibly want. But he gave them a little test there too. He said, I'm giving you all these things. I only have one request, one, one desire. Don't eat from that one tree in the middle of the garden. Just that one tree, God, no problem. No problem whatsoever. We've got all these other things. Why do we need to eat off that tree? Well, along comes the enemy, the serpent, Satan, begins lying. The same sin, the same evil that certain Satan perpetrated on Adam and Eve at the very beginning is the same sin he perpetrates on you and I. He deceives us. He lies to us. So Adam and Eve, what happened? The snake approached Eve and began telling her, the only reason God doesn't want you to eat that is because you'll be like him. Oh, really? I could be like God if I eat that? Really? Satan kept telling her and kept convincing her. And finally she said, okay, I'll eat it. A lot of people like to blame Eve, but you know where Adam was when Eve bit the apple there or bit the piece of fruit? Standing right beside her. I want you to know this too. God told Adam, do not eat for that tree. He didn't tell Eve. Eve got her information in a secondary source from Adam. Adam told Eve we're not supposed to eat that. God didn't. So who's more primarily responsible? Adam. He's the one that got the direct order from God Almighty. Don't eat it. Well, long story short, because of that sin, we fell from grace with God Almighty. God cannot look upon sin. God is perfect. Jesus Christ was perfect. God cannot allow sin into heaven. God wanted this relationship with his people. But they sinned. And they've been sinning ever since. A lot of times we want to look back at old Adam and Eve and say, you know, well, that was Adam and Eve, but I would have never done that. Really? You know, what you must be saying today is I've never sinned. No, that's not true. We all sin. We fall short of God's glory. The Bible tells us that. We've all sinned. But man was separated from God Almighty. From the very beginning, they ate that fruit and were separated. God's holiness required punishment and a payment for that sin. God said because they had sinned, they're going to die dying for their sin was not payment enough. It wasn't. The only payment that was going to be good enough was the payment of the spotless Lamb of God. John 3.16, which gives us the whole gospel in a very simple message. I love it when you see John 3.16 on a big poster board in the end zone of a football field. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. What does that say? It said because of God's love, He wanted to reestablish that relationship. God was not happy not having a relationship with you and I. He, wanted, he desperately wanted that relationship with you and I. So desperate that he was willing to send his son to die upon that cross. He wanted you and I back. But he knew there was no way to reestablish that relationship without a payment for the sin that separated us. 1929, a fellow by the name of George Wilson robbed the postal office. He also shot the postal mailman there. Murdered him. Put in the federal penitentiary. Well, somebody decided they are going to petition the President of the United States and see if they couldn't get a pardon for him. Well, guess what? He got a pardon. He'd been in prison for seven years. He got a pardon. Let's go ahead and let the boy out. They sent him the pardon, a big piece of paper officially signed by the President of the United States. You got a pardon here. You can leave. What did old George say? George says, I don't want to leave. I'm happy here. I don't want to leave. I, paid. I need to pay the penalty for this. I'm not leaving. Well, here's a big quagmire. The President said, you got a pardon. Get out. He's saying, I'm not leaving. So what did they do? It was a federal mandate, so they took it straight to the Supreme Court. Supreme Court Justice John Marshall looked at it. You know what he determined after he studied this whole case? The pardon is not fulfilled unless it's accepted. You know where I'm going with this, right? God gave you and I a pardon through Jesus Christ. He said, I'm issuing a pardon because of your sin. Your sin has earned you death. The wages of sin is death, right? We read that in the Bible, book of Romans. Chapter 6, verse 23, if you want to look there sometime. But God says the wages of sin is death, because you your sin, you're doomed for hell. But God said, I don't want that. I want this relationship. I want to have this close, abiding, intimate relationship with you. So I'm going to send my son as a pardon for your sins. He's going to pay the penalty. That was the only penalty that was going to be good enough to die for Jesus Christ. To pay the debt that we owed because of our sin. God offers everyone that pardon, every single one of us. But just like George Wilson, we need to accept it. The pardon sits there on the shelf until somebody says, okay, I'll take it. It's a free gift. It's by God's grace because he loved us so much he's given us this gift. It's undeserved merit, undeserved favor. We don't deserve it, but God gave us this gift. God wants you and I to accept it. God wants you and I to tell other people they can have it as well. Think for just a moment in your life. How many people do you know right now that look and appear to be absolutely miserable in their life? They just don't look like they have any happiness. I just spent nine days in Israel. That's a very unhappy nation. It really is. Israelites and Muslims, they've missed it. Talk about that in a few minutes. But I want you to hear what it means to be saved. Scripture we read this morning says that he shall save his people from their sins. If you look up the word salvation in the Hebrew, it's the word Yeshua. And it says it means this, something saved or delivered. Something saved or delivered. Look up the Greek word in, in, uh, for salvation in the New Testament. It's soteria. It means physical and moral rescue. What we're talking about here is truly it's physical, it's spiritual, but it's also the fact that God is delivering you and I. God is taking us out of where we're at and putting us in a different place. He's setting our feet on solid rock. God has an incredible life for you and I. Desires for us to have that. Sad but uh, thankful story for Amy and I. 1991, we owned a house in Tennessee. And uh, we were actually living in Kentucky building this restaurant company. But we had to go down about every two weeks or so to take care of the pool. You know, that's back in the days when Amy and Gary were affluent. But we had a beautiful pool down there, so we went down one Saturday to, to work in this pool and kind of get it cleaned up and getting ready. It was still summertime, so we went swimming too. But while she and I were behind, they had a fence out. while she and I were behind the fence out there, Julian wasn't with us, we had Abby, but we put Abby in a little, one of those little chairs that had little wheels on it. But we put her way over in the grass and figured there's no way she could ever run that thing across the grass and across the cement and get in the pool. Well, that was assuming something that was not right. So we're back there working on this thing and going down behind the fence, adjusting some of these knobs and this filter and the pump and all these things. And all of a sudden we hear a splash. Look up, no Abby. We see the wake. She's falling off in the pool. The, the, uh, it's a high fence. The gate to get in there is about probably 30, 40 feet away. So we run around, us, both of us jump in the pool, pull her out. I mean, I can't tell you, you can imagine you're sitting there thinking with your kids how sad it was, and how tragic it was, and potentially tragic, what the panic was in our heart. We jumped in and pulled her up, and she was fine. She was coughing, drunk a little water, but coughing up, thank you, Jesus. The reason I'm telling you this morning is that we can't save ourselves any more than Abby could save herself that day. If God had not been present there, and I give God all credit, it makes me emotional think about it. And she was only about one year and four months old, 16 months maybe. How tragic it could have been that day, but God saved our daughter. How tragic it is when we see people out there that are drowning in this world. They're drowning in the things of this world and they think they got what it takes to be happy and be content and have a fulfilled life, but they're drowning, they're missing it. You know what it takes? It takes a Savior. It takes somebody that cares so much about him that they're going to, he's, he died upon that cross. But it also takes somebody just like Abby needed that day, her mom and dad, to jump in there, to jump in the water with them and to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with these people that are walking around the streets out here. How are they going to be saved if you and I don't take the time to tell them, to take the time to reach them, to take the time to let them know that Jesus Christ loves them? Have you ever pondered the thought? I do it all the time. I meet them all the time. I talk to them in the stores. And I, I made up my mind years ago that I want to be a sense of encouragement to everybody I know, to everybody I meet. I meet somebody I'd never seen before in my life in a grocery store or Walmart or Kmart or somebody like that or Target. And uh, I want to be an encouragement because I don't know where they're coming from. Waitresses, waiters. I want to be encouraging to them. I want to be the most encouraging person they've ever met. I can't believe that customer. And Amy and I have had that before. Man, you guys are great customers. They've told us that sitting in a restaurant. That's why, because we want to be. It's intentional. We want to serve Jesus Christ. There's a lot of misconceptions, though, about salvation. I'm going to just touch them on for a second here. But uh, no man is capable of saving himself. I think we most of us agree on that, but no man is capable of saving himself. You know how I think some people are capable of, thinking of saving themselves? It's called the works answer. When people are approached about receiving Jesus Christ or about heaven, do you know for a doubt that without a doubt you're going to go to heaven someday? Yeah, I think so. Well, let me ask you a second question. If you do to go to heaven today, what would you tell God the reason you can get in? He said, "Well, I 've been a pretty good person. It's the works' answer. I've never killed anybody or any robbed a bank or ever maimed anybody. You know I 've been a pretty good guy. In fact, I 'm a lot better than Joe down the street there or Mike down the street there. They're saying, "You know, I figure I can get in myself because I've done a pretty good job. Nobody can save themselves. Imagine if you are an adult. You fall in the pool and you can't swim. You're more than likely going to need somebody to pull you out. Just to give you an example, you can't be down the bottom of that water there and take, grab your hair by this and pull yourself up to the top, can you? Can't do it. It's kind of a simple imagery, but that's what it's all about. We cannot save ourselves. The second misconception is that religion can save us. I've been going to church my whole life, and I'm a pretty good guy, and I know my Bible, and you know I serve here and serve there, and I'm a deacon or I'm a pastor, whatever it might be. You know what? I have seen pastors get saved. I've seen deacons get saved. I've seen people who have been in church their whole life. A friend of mine when I was at Grove Avenue went visiting right across the street from Grove Avenue. He'd lived there his whole life as long as Grove Avenue had been there. Nobody had ever come and knocked on his door. We decided to go over and just come to some neighborhood uh, houses there across the street one night. 92, year old, 90, 92 years old, he'd been the treasurer of his church, still was for something like 50 years. It wasn't our church, it was another church. Do you know when we sit down and start talking about Jesus Christ? He said, you know what? I've never really done that. I know he is, but I don't know that I have a personal relationship. A 92-year-old man, been in church his whole life, lived across the street from a big church, never came to know Jesus Christ. They're all around us. There's people all around us that think that if it's as all as I go to church, I'm good to go. I'm really good to go. Nobody else can save you either. I've heard people say, and Amy and I talked to somebody in Israel about this. She was, a, she was she said she was a Christian. But uh, she said, you know, uh, are you a Christian? Yeah. How long have you been a Christian? When have you been? Forever. Forever. I grew up in a home that was Christian. My parents were Christian. God does not have any grandchildren. Okay? I don't care if your mother and your father and everybody else is a sold-out Christian. And so the Lord, if you haven't made that personal decision, you don't have a salvation experience. Somebody else cannot have your experience for you. Then finally, the misconception out in the world today and it's growing ever more popular is universalism. Some people believe that all the gods are the same. You know, the god of Muhammad is the same god as the god of the Jehovah Witnesses and the god of uh, Joseph Smith and the Buddha and all these different things, Hindu gods. They have 300 million gods. You know, one of the problems of trying to uh, witness to folks from India is the fact that, yeah, i got 300 million gods. I can add one more. Give me Jesus Christ. i got him now too i got all the bases covered because i got all these gods. There's only one God that has a son named Jesus Christ that died upon the cross and rose from the grave. There's only one living God out there. Faith in Jesus Christ is the only way to be saved. You may be asking this morning, why do I need to be saved? If you have your Bibles, I'm going to take you to two different scriptures here, but turn with me, if you will, to Romans chapter 3 for just a second. Romans chapter 3. Starting with the 23rd verse. You know this verse. Most of us have it memorized. Romans 3.23, it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And verse 24 says, Being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. He's saying here, We have a gift of grace of Jesus Christ, and we can be justified with God. That means given right standing with God Almighty. Then verse 25 is where I want you to see this. Why do we need to be saved? It says it right here in verse 25. He said, Whom God set forth as a uh, propitiation by His blood through faith to demonstrate His righteousness because of the forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed. I want you to think about the fact that whom God set forth as a propitiation by His blood. What does propitiation mean? It means to appease one's wrath. It means to make peace with, God's, with His wrath. Because of Jesus Christ, God was able to make peace with his wrath. What do you mean God had wrath? God had wrath. He hates sin. God was ready to wipe out the sinners. What does he say to all sinners today that don't have Jesus Christ? You're destined for hell. You know, a lot of people think that's kind of intolerant, isn't it, Gary? and not Pastor? No, that's God's word. God's word says, hey, you have a choice here. You can choose my way or the highway. You know, it's interesting. I was thinking this morning back in my office. And I don't know if you saw that movie. I don't use too many movies. But, uh, you know, there's, I don't remember the name of it. I think I remember who was in it. But it was trying to convince some lady to come with him. And they were chasing He says, with me, without me. With me, without me. You and I have the same experience. We can go with God or without him. But our life, when it ends here on earth, is going two different directions. With him, we're going up. Without him, we're destined to spend eternity in hell. Away from God. We have a choice. Propitiation. Let's read that again. Verse 25. Whom God set forth as an appeasement for his wrath. Through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because of his forbearance. God passed over the sins. Because Jesus Christ appeased. Because Jesus Christ made peace with the wrath of God. Because he died upon that cross. Humanity is sin. For all of sin it says right there. God was angered. God's holiness demanded justice. Humanity had become the enemy of God. We're at war with God because of sin. All those years, think about that. God kept trying to reach the nation of Israel. Turn your eyes back to me. Repent. Turn your eyes back to me. He sent prophet after prophet after prophet to warn and to lead the nation of Israel back. They didn't come. There was a small remnant, just like in America today, sitting in this room, a small remnant that realizes Jesus Christ but we got a big mission, just like those prophets said, to let the nation of Israel know God is still on his throne. His word is still in his book. We need to come to understand who Jesus Christ is. We need to accept Jesus Christ. Think about forgiveness for just a moment. Forgiveness is to dismiss, to release, to leave, and to abandon. That's what forgiveness means, to do away with it. If a judge dismisses the case, what has he done? He's forgiven the defendant. If somebody's forgiven or released you from a debt, what has He done? He's forgiven your debt. word forgiveness also means to restore. It's not only forgetting the debt, paying the debt, but it's also restoring you to the right relationship like it never happened. That's God's form of forgiveness. There's too many people walking around the day that feel like, man, I just don't know if I can ever get past this. I don't know if God could ever forgive me. How could God ever use me? Think about the Apostle Paul. He had some of those thoughts too. But God did use them. He wondered sometimes, God, how could you use me? He even said of among all sinners, I'm chief. He said, I doubt anybody sinned like I have. Think about David, King David, sinned with Bathsheba, had her husband killed. What does God say about David? He's a man after my own heart. God knew he sinned, but God David had a repentant heart. God had a desire to get David had a desire to get right with God. The question for you and I today. We've all sinned and fallen short of God, glory to God. But do I have a desire to walk in a greater way every day? We're still going to sin. Your pastor sins. But do we truly have a desire to walk with God? Do we truly have a desire to understand it? Stories told about Billy Graham, apparently a true story, driving through a small little North Carolina city, town. He was speeding, shame on him. Got pulled over. Such a small town, they decided the little sheriff decided to take him. sheriff didn't know who he was. Decided to take him to the courthouse right then. We won't hold you up long, but you're going to have to pay a penalty. So Billy Graham said, okay, follow the police car there. Got to the courtroom. Judge not really looking up or anything. He says, okay, I understand you're speeding this much in this zone here. How do you plead? Guilty or not guilty? Billy Graham said, I was guilty. He says, okay, I'm giving you a $10 fine. Okay, sir. Guy looks up and realizes Billy Graham. Oh, my gosh, Billy Graham in my courtroom. Hey, I tell you what, I'm going to pay the $10 for you here. And I tell you what, do you have time for lunch? I want to take you out for lunch. Listen very carefully. When God forgives yours and my sins, you know what he's done? I'm going to pay the $10 and let's go have lunch. That's God Almighty. That's how much God loves you. I want you to think about this. Remember the prodigal son story? Man had two sons. One of the sons came. The younger son came one day. said, man, I'm finished and done with living here. Dad, can I have my share of the uh, the inheritance? I want to go off to the big city. I'm going to go sow my wild oats, God. God and Dad. So he got the wild oats money and he went off to the big city. We squandered it all, paid it all. No telling what he does. The Bible doesn't describe it, but I'm sure it wasn't holy or pure. He ended up in a pig pen, taking care of pigs and realizing all I got to eat is what the pigs were eating. And so he was a little upset about that. Sitting there one day, and I love this. The Bible said he came to himself. What does that mean? He realized who he was. He was a child of his dad. He realized that I have a life better here. He realized I would sinned and erred to my ways. What did he do? He decided to go home. I'm going home. The Bible tells us when he's a long way off what his dad do? Jumped up and down and had a great joy. Couldn't be more excited about seeing his son. Ran after him and said, hey, go kill a fat calf. Get a ring and get a coat. My son has returned. Listen very carefully. There's nowhere in that scripture where that man says, I can't believe all the sin he did. I can't believe what he did wrong. You know what? He was so excited about seeing his son, getting his son back. He'd already forgiven his son. Why? Because he loved him so very much. Just like you and I. God has forgiven our sins. He loves us so very much. He's not going to keep reminding them. The Bible tells us our sins are as far from the east as they are from the west. It also tells us that God no longer remembers these things. God doesn't remember our sin. God is all about today and tomorrow. The bottom line of the story is, though, do I have that relationship with God where he forgives my sins? Do I realize that God has this incredible life for me? I'm going to try to put about 30 minutes into five minutes here. I'm going to show you a couple of pictures here. This is the first one. This is called the Dome of the Rock. Ty's going to put them up there for you. And there's another one. Go into the other one too if you want, Ty. Um, no, go ahead and go back. I'm sorry. Dome of the Rock. There it is. This is a Muslim mosque. It's on Mount Moriah. You recognize that from the Bible? This is right in the middle of Jerusalem. Mount Moriah was a mountain centuries before, where Abraham took Isaac up to the top of that mountain and tried to, uh, to sacrifice him. The dome of the mount is the dome of the rock. Is they have a rock inside that, underneath that t- temple there, they believe it's the rock where um, Abraham actually put his son. We don't know, but it's the location. It's Mount Moriah. This is also the location where the first two temples were built in Jerusalem. Solomon built the first temple. Remember that. One of the most beautiful structures ever built. And then Herod, just before Jesus came, about 50 years before Jesus came, to appease the Jews in Jerusalem, built the second temple. It's sitting here, walking around that day with our precious team that night. One of the things that came on my heart and mind was the fact that God is not the author of confusion. Our God is not a confused God. Here it is, a holy place, historically holy place. We have the Muslims, we have the Jews we have the atheists, and then we have a small little percentage of Christians. It was so sad to be on that mountaintop and seeing many people going through the rituals, the sacrilege and all these things too, and realize they're doing all that stuff. They might as well be sitting at home shooting marbles. They're wasting their time, but they think it's meaningful. The ritual is going to get them someplace. There's a lot of people in this world that believe the way they're living life is the right way. It's not the right way. Jesus Christ said, I am the what? The way, the truth, and the life. There's only one right way. How can we get off course sometimes? We just do. Sometimes our priorities are messed up, our focuses are messed up a little bit or in the wrong direction. But as I stood on top of that mountain, I was moved from the perspective of how sad it was for these folks on top of that mountain and how confused they were. Have we really thought about the magnitude of our sin? You know, as Christians, sometimes we think about, you know, well, my sin's not that bad. You know, it's not as bad as robbery. Do I have a little problem with anger? Yes, maybe. Do I have a little problem with pride? Maybe. Do I have a little problem with hatred? Sometimes I'm a little prejudiced. I don't know what it is. But we compare those little issues in our life with somebody that commits murder or rape or, you know, armed robbery or some of these things. We kind of feel better about ourselves. Listen very carefully. Sin is sin. All sin is sin, and don't miss this thought. It takes just as much grace, just as much grace, to forgive a little innocent child like one of the ones sitting up here. They're all sinners too, as much as they're precious. They've all sinned by now. At this time in their life, they said no to mom or taken a cookie and not been honest about it. Something I don't know what it is, but it takes just as much grace to forgive a little child like that as it does a robber sitting over here in the federal penitentiary. Sin is sin. We've all sinned and fall short of God's glory. If you have your Bibles and I'll complete I'll finish with this story. If you have your Bibles turn with me if you will in Mark two. It's a beautiful picture of what we're talking about this morning, salvation. Mark chapter two. This happened at Capernaum, and I have a picture here for you of Capernaum. We got to see Capernaum, and Capernaum was Peter's mother-in-law's house, and Peter grew up there as well, but also, this was Jesus' hometown. You say, well, what about Bethlehem and and Nazareth? Well, he, he was born there, and he lived in Nazareth for a while, grew up there, but he spent about 20 months of his three years with the ministry at Capernaum. There's so many stories as you begin reading your Bible now, look at Capernaum if he's there, this is one of them we're going to read here, the, the four men that brought their f- friends and ripped open that roof of that um, building where Jesus Christ was teaching and lowered them down. It's also the city where you'll see that he touched the, hem of the, the, the lady that um, had the blood disease, wanted to touch the hem of his garden. Over and over you'll see ministry that Jesus Christ did at Capernaum there. But I want you to hear this story, and we're going to talk about it as we read it. And we'll be finished here this morning. He said, and again he entered Capernaum. After some days, and it was heard that he was in the house. Immediately many gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door, and he preached the word to them. Then they came to him, bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. Verse number 4, I want you to think about this. They were desperate to get to Jesus Christ. They were so desperate that they were willing to rip off the roof roof, roof, roof of that building there and lower the friend down. They believed in Jesus Christ that much. That's the kind of passion, that's the kind of fervent desire you and I need to have to get to Jesus Christ. That I want it so desperately, I'm willing to rip off a roof and get my friend or get me to that Jesus Christ. Listen very carefully. I believe with all my heart, if we truly realize what hell is all about, some people have told me that, man, if you could see heaven for about seven seconds, you'd definitely want to go to heaven. I believe if you saw hell for one second, you'd want to go to heaven, okay? Are we desperate to get our friends to Jesus Christ? Do we know people in our life that are precious to us, important to us, even co-workers? You know, I appreciate this person. Appreciate that. Are, are we, do we care about that person dying and going to hell? These guys cared about their friend, wanted to get him healed. His friend was hurt and broken. They wanted to have Jesus' healing touch, But think about this. Why did they take him to Jesus? Because they realized there's something different about Jesus Christ. Why did you and I want to come to Jesus Christ? Because we realize there's something different. It's not like meeting the pastor or a deacon or a pastor. This is Jesus Christ. Then it goes on and said Jesus saw their faith. You know, it begs the question, you know, does Jesus Christ see my faith? Does he see me? I'm here to tell you that burden on my little heart, I care about that all the time. Does my faith vacillate sometimes where it's overpowering and sometimes it's not? Absolutely. I think most people are. But I want to be on fire all the time. I want to be on mission all the time. I want to be in ministry all the time and realize that everywhere I go that I have an opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ saw their faith. He said to the paralytic son, your sins are forgiven. He saw what he needed, but you know what? Jesus Christ knew what he needed more. We meet our friends' needs all the time. Hey, can you help me? i got a flat tire. Hey, can you come over tonight? My, my water heater is leaking. Can you come over tonight and help me in my house? We do that all the time. But think about this. What does your friend really need? Your friend really needs, your friend, your family, really needs Jesus Christ. It's great to help them. And I believe when we help them, that gives us a great platform and a relationship with our friends to share the gospel. Hey, I'm glad I could come over to help you. Hey, thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm glad I could come over. you got a few extra minutes? Let me talk to you about my best friend, Jesus Christ. Can I share with you about him? So then, some of the scribes were sitting there, and reasoning in their hearts, "Why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins of God alone?" <coughs> but immediately, when Jesus perceived in His spirit that they were reasoning thus within themselves, He said to them, "Why do you reason about these things in your hearts?" <coughs> Excuse me. The world is always going to push against us. The world is always going to question us. The world is always going to ridicule us. But the world doesn't understand. Who cares? We got the truth. Jesus says, which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to rise, take up your bed and walk? But you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, take up your bed and go to your house. Immediately he arose, took up the bed and went out of the presence of them all. So they were all amazed and glorifying God, saying, (coughs) we never saw anything like this before. (coughs) Excuse me. You know what? I can't tell you how many people through the years I've seen. I'd like to think that people think that when they see me, but I've seen people that were living a life over here away from God. They get saved and they live over here now on fire for God. And people say, that is amazing. That is absolutely amazing. I can't believe that was the same person that used to be like this. That's what happened to that layman. That's what happened to those people there in that room that day. They saw a man's life changed, but they also saw Jesus Christ personally. The world needs to see Jesus Christ and you and I. I want to give an invitation right now, and we're going to do a little bit different this morning. We've done it this way before, but I want it to be very personal with you. I want you to really think through some of these things. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 says this, For godly sorrow produces... Repentance to salvation. For godly sorrow produces repentance to salvation. What does that mean? It means when I have a sorrow that comes from God. When I realize who I am and I don't have God in my life. When I realize that I want more God in my life and I seem to be away right now. When I have that kind of sorrow. A sorrow that goes down deep inside our heart. That I'm not with God right now. Maybe you've never been with God Maybe in a way. But I have a godly sorrow. And that leads to repentance, which leads to salvation. What does that mean, Pastor? It means that to have salvation, I need to turn. I need to turn 180 degrees. I'm facing this way right now in my life, but I need to turn around this way and go this way for salvation. It's turning away. It's a change of mind. It's a change of heart. It's a change of direction in my life when I repent. And I want to share with you this morning. That Billy Graham believes that probably 50% of people today that go to church do not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I don't know. You know. God knows. But you know what? It's one of those things that you don't want to make a mistake and not be sure about. It's one of those things that, given the opportunity, I want to make sure that I receive Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us that there's only one sin that God won't forgive and that's blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. That's by saying that I, I hear about Jesus Christ, but I don't want Him. That's blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's knocking on your door right now, the door of your heart right now. He's saying, I want you. Please believe in me. Please confess your sins. Please receive me as your own. Please come, follow me. Sorrow will cause repentance. When I take time to ponder my heart when I take time to realize what I have in Jesus Christ I want to show you the last picture here from Israel it's a picture of our folks getting baptized in the Jordan River that's all your brothers and sisters from this church getting ready to get into the Jordan River two of the young people there were getting baptized for the first time, they'd never been baptized there they'd made a decision for Jesus Christ and they decided they want to get baptized And their father did that. How precious is that. I wanted to show you that picture though. Because the baptism part is just a symbolism. But it's a precious symbolism. And a a, a statement from you and I. That I want to walk in obedience. I've made a decision for Christ. I've accepted him. I've received him in my life. But I want to make a statement now to the whole world. That I just like Jesus Christ was dead and buried. So are we. Buried and baptized. And raised in newness of life. The Bible tells us in Romans 6.4. That when we are saved, that we are raised in newness of life with Jesus Christ. We have a brand new life. We're brand new creations. God has remade us. We're not the same person we used to be. We have a new life. Sometimes our sin wants to reach across that line and pull us back into that. And sometimes we fall back into it. But we can never fall away from God once we made that decision. But it's so important for you and I to know with absolute certainty that I'm saved. That God has given me this new life. I'm going to say a prayer right now, and I want you to pray with me if you like. Um, I'm going to begin the prayer, but I'm going to offer a prayer in the middle of this prayer for you. If you'd like to receive Jesus Christ today, you can raise your hand. And I'm going to lead you in this little prayer. But I'd like to have you, if you've never accepted Jesus Christ in your life or you're not sure, I'd like to ask you this morning to pray that prayer with me here. Let's bow our heads, every eye closed, every head bowed. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. Father, I thank you for the privilege that we all have, Father, to be in this house today. And, Father, it's not by accident that each one of us are here, Father, to hear your holy word, Father, either to instruct us, Father, or to, to guide us in the right direction, Father, to share this with somebody else, Father. But maybe for some in this room today, it's for the very first time that I'm going to make that decision and know with absolute certainty, Father, I pray right now in the holy power of your Son, Jesus Christ, Father, not one person leaves here today without you. I pray today would be the day that they say, hey, you know, I've been thinking about this, I've thought about it, I've heard about it. Today's the day I want to nail this down and know with absolute certainty that I have a home in heaven. That I know with absolute certainty that if something happens to me, Father, I'll be in heaven the very next moment. Father, I pray right now, Lord, that there would be nothing holding us back, Father. We all know the enemy works, Father. We all know that one of the things the enemy might say to one of us, Father, is that we can do that later. You know, we seem to live in an environment right now that I'll get to that later. I'll do it tomorrow. Father, we realize it might not be it tomorrow, Father. We realize as well, this could be the last opportunity for some of us to accept your son, Jesus Christ, and believe on him. Lord, so I pray right now, in the quietest moments, Father, that we sense your Holy Spirit leading us. That we get out of the way of the Holy Spirit, Father, that we would not let anything impede what you'd like to do in our lives. Father, that maybe there's some here today that want to rededicate their life, Father. They did this as a child. They don't remember doing it, but they knew they did it because they got the baptism certificate, whatever it might be, Father. But today they want to know that they know that they know that they believe and have a relationship with you. So, Father, I pray right now if there's somebody in this room, they'd repeat this prayer after me. Father, they can do it out loud or just do it in their mind, Father, because you can read our minds. Father, I pray they'd pray right now this prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I am a sinner. Please forgive me my sin. I believe with all my heart that Jesus Christ lived he died he was buried and he rose on the third day I believe with all my heart that Jesus lives in heaven today Father I desire to repent I want to give my life to you I want to no longer follow my own ways I want to follow you Father Thank you for sending Jesus. Lord, thank you for saving me. Lord, I give my life now to Jesus Christ. I want him to be Lord of my life. Father, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. I'd like to ask you to continue to keep your eyes closed, your heads bowed. I want to ask you probably the most important question you've ever been asked in your life. Did you just pray that prayer for the very first time today and meant it with all your heart? If you prayed that prayer this morning and you mean it with all your heart, I'd like to ask you if you would just lift your hand in the air for just a moment and leave it in the air so I can say one. Thank you, ma'am. Anyone else? Anyone else pray that prayer for the very first time today? You meant it. You want to accept Jesus Christ. Thank you. It's two. Anyone else? Father, I thank you for these two ladies, Father, that raise their hand. Father, we pray right now, Lord, that for somebody else in this room, Lord, that does not have you as a personal Savior. Father, I pray today, Lord, would be that day that they receive you in. Father, I pray right now, Lord, that they would not rest, Father, until they made that decision for you. Father, I thank you once again for this most precious time. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, for my two precious ladies that pray to receive Christ, if you wouldn't mind, if you, after the service, may come up. I'll be standing up front here and just like to talk to you and pray with you in person for a second. But thank you for making that decision. And uh, we have several announcements. I'm going to ask the praise man to come on up right now. And get in place. We'll have a song here in just a moment, too. But um, I'll be up front here for any others that have prayer requests or have needs this morning. But um, let me give you these couple announcements very quickly. Richard Davis uh, has been nominated by our nominating Tim to be the treasurer going forward here. And I got word after I came back from Israel that we want to kind of change the voting process, and I agree. And so we're going to do that in a few weeks here, but we're going to start having a ballot vote here. So you feel free to kind of express your opinions, and then we'll take a ballot count. So did not have time to prepare that for today, but we'll do it. I've talked to Richard, and he's fine with that. So you keep praying about that. If you want more information about Richard or anything about the process, call the office, and we'll put you in contact with him or with any of the nominating team or the leadership team. I'd be happy to talk to myself as well, but let me know. Hey, um, if you can prepare for this too, I'm going to ask Brother Jim Beatty if he's back there wouldn't mind bring up a uh, couple offering plates, or maybe Don, if you're back there, put the uh, baskets up front here too. We're going to receive our Lottie Moon Christmas offering here in a moment. We'll put them up here. We've done it several different ways in the past. Today we're just going to do it. We're going to give you an opportunity here in just a moment, while the music's playing. Then we'll be dismissed uh, to bring up a Lottie Moon offering. And the Lottie Moon offering is our mission, is our offering for foreign missionaries. And uh, your pastor didn't do a good job this year explaining it to you. But I'll tell you that the Foreign Mission Board, the International Mission Board, has some 4,800 missionaries that serve around the world. This offering goes straight to them. So we love the opportunity to give mission money to them and serve it. You guys just put it down front here if you like. And um, we'll come up here and collect it here in a second. Finally, before we take that offering, um, Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. And I've read several articles by big pastors and I've heard several pastors saying, you know, we decided not to do Christmas morning service because it kind of interferes with family time. And uh, I think that's an oxymoron. I think uh, Christmas morning is a great time to have family time in church, worshiping God. So we're going to have a Christmas Eve service at 7 o'clock, and we're going to have a Christmas Day service, worship service here at 1045 on normal time. Share this one story, maybe to convict you, but also to put the beat on you. In 1999, uh, for about almost 20 years, I worked in the prisons monkey regional jail went over and taught a bible study on saturdays over there to a bunch of guys 1999 the the uh, saturday happened to be christmas day so a young family i had a 10 year old a nine year old and a seven year old at home but i shared with them that dad needed to go to share the christmas story in jail and i usually went over there about eight in the morning got home about 10 or 10 30 just taught for about an hour but um so i said we're gonna have to rearrange christmas no problem dad and so i said well i want you guys to all pray that some of those men get saved and hear the Christmas story and get saved. Well, I'd usually had about nine or ten guys, but this morning I decided to go into the kind of the barracks room where they all had bunk beds and stayed. These guys are a little bit less danger to each other. So there's probably thirty guys in this room, so I went up in there and kind of started clapping my hands and saying, Hey guys, it's Christmas morning. Everybody goes to church on Christmas morning. So uh-huh, uh-huh. and uh, I had I think twenty five or twenty six guys show up that morning for the Bible study. Share a long story. I'll Make it short. Nine guys got saved that morning. And drove home, and I was just rejoicing. They heard the Christmas story, and they wanted Jesus. They wanted Jesus. And so I got home. My kids were all there, excited to see Dad. Now Christmas men. You know what the first question was? Daddy, did anybody get saved? I said yes. Tears in my eyes, and said nine men got saved. I want you to realize that God's going to be here. He said your your house too. I don't want to make you feel bad, but I want you to really consider coming out. We're ranging, ranging our day. Come on out and have Christmas Day with us, Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. But even more than that, think about this. I believe with all my heart, if you invited your best friend that doesn't go to church to come to either Christmas Eve or Christmas Day, you know what happened? happen? They'd come with you. I'm praying that we've got to put the deacons to work both Christmas Eve and Christmas Day to put up extra charity in here because we can't fit them all. But think about this. I shared that nine guys getting saved story with you. Imagine you invite some of your friends to come on Christmas Eve or Christmas morning and some of them get saved. What a precious experience. Share with your family. This all pray for our folks. We're inviting the Smith family, the Jones family, the Brown family, whatever it is. Invite them and say, kids, let's pray for them because I don't know if they know Jesus, but maybe they'll come to know Jesus at church.